0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. It's Sean and Steve back with you. A little bit longer hiatus than usual last week after the Parma defeat, uh, Sean and I weren't able to record. So we're back after a two week break. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed some of our you know, retro pieces that we did featuring the Champions League run back in uh, the 17, uh, 16, 7, no, 17, 18 season. I'm losing track of time after uh, I feel so long ago at the way Roma has been struggling lately. Uh, we'll be back to that a little bit later on to finish that Champions League run, but for the moment we are covering Roma's loss to Napoli, yet another loss to a top side quote unquote top side from top seven uh, Roma's struggles continue this season still winless against the top seven. Um, so we're going to go a little different with our, our format today we're going to try something new so uh, you know. Let us know how you how you like it at the end. Drop us a quote and uh you know, let us know on Twitter. So you know if it's something that, that you like that we've done today. So Sean, how are you doing today?
1: I am tired, but uh I, I don't know if it's because of the match result or just trying to us, you know, been trying to adapt to, to this how this podcast is going across the room with us. You know, it's 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 been good to us. Um, but uh we we're noticing how we have to keep ahead of, of the pace and keep it interesting and motivating for us, even in these weeks where Roma lose to, to Parma and uh, and to Napoli. So um yeah, it's it's a bit tiring staying on top of everything, but I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. Lucky for you, the you know, daylight savings doesn't come till next week in the UK. So Roma's yeah. off. So you'll be able to rest up. I, I know I've, it hits it, hard. To that hour yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can look forward to that as well. Yeah. So Sean, why don't you lead us off with a couple uh non-men's side headlines before we get into the men's match.
1: Yeah, if you're depressed about how things are going with the men's team, well, we've got the headlines for you and we'll focus on Roma elsewhere in Tregoria right now. Roma Primavera are back to winning ways against Ascoli this weekend, where Ricardo Ciervo scored just before half time and Nicola Zaleski scored at the other end to bookend this match in stoppage time in the 94th minute. Uh, that gives Roma Primavera a 2 0 win over Ascoli and gives them the win on the first match day of the return calendar because you remember that the Primavera League is well, well behind schedule after having taken a a winter suspension due to pandemic and world circumstances right now. So, um, they're they're a little bit behind the calendar, but uh, Roma still in first place. They maintain first place at the top of the table thanks to their great start to the season last year. Um, we'll see how they how they go it, as as it, it nears playoff season for the Primavera. That's just on the horizon. But uh, also Roma women back to winning ways. Well, you know, not that they ever left winning ways, but um, they uh, had a goal fest, a goal fest against Inter. So no no such problems for the Roma women team in terms of beating big rivals. They just they just beat Juventus in the Coppa Italia. They've beaten Inter now in in the, uh, the Scudetto, uh, sorry the Serie A Feminide. even though Inter aren't the same force in, on the women's side that they are on the men's side, not, not nearly. Um, so Roma were favourites going to that match, but they, they went away to Milan and uh, they actually beat Inter in their own home 4-3. That, that scoreline isn't nearly as reflective as how uh, wide the match was for most of the game. It was really Roma taking out a big lead for the best, best part of the match. Um, and then at the end, really in stoppage time, uh, Inter made the scoreline respectable, but Gloria Marinelli getting a third goal um, but if you if you want to catch that match, it's not it's not you know, the one part of that match you don't want to miss is Maria Banusic, the new January striker signing for Roma. Um, she's had a, a couple of spots here and there, but uh, yesterday was really definitely her crowning moment where she won this game. What, what turned out to be the winning goal, even though it was four one at the time when she scored, uh, she scored a bicycle kick in the box, and it's truly like a piece of acrobatic, you know magic, really, um, what you really want to see in the game. So, uh, well done to Vanatic and Roma are in fourth place because, you know, they've had a disappointing season this, this year. Uh, nowhere near expectations, but uh, since January, they've been back on track, then fourth place. They're still nine points behind third place Aswolo, uh, with just six games to go. So, it looks like fourth place is where they are and fourth place is where they end up. Uh, Roma and Fiorentina won will be disappointed by how uh, their season has gone this year. But Roma really looking like... They got back on track after the New Year's, New Year's uh, you know, period and uh, they'll be looking forward to keeping this team in place for next season, maybe make a signing here or there, but uh, you know, they've got good chemistry right now. Um, but the rest of our headlines, as we know, always the lion's share of the media is taken up by the Roma's, Roma men's team, Palo Fonseca's troops. And uh, the general theme, Steve, of the headlines coming out of uh, this of this defeat uh, to Napoli is there's definitely a very distinct Fonseca versus the players theme here, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, so I'll start with, you know, Fonseca's post-match quotes and then also what the captain Lorenzo Pellegrini said, because they definitely differ in their view of, you know, how this match went down and where it went wrong. And then, Sean, you also dug up, you dug through the muck of the Italian media to find plenty of quotes with other people's opinions from outside the locker room. So, We'll start with inside the locker room and then we'll get outside the locker room and really see what people you know, are seeing in, in, in Rome with these trends of losing to these top sides. So to start, Fonseca said, and this is the translations coming from Football Italia, so they did some of the legwork here for us. Maybe we don't have the mentality ch- to challenge against these teams. What I saw in the first half was a side that with no courage, lacking in mentality, and then it was totally different after the break. This is not the way we wanted to play. We didn't do anything in the first half because the team was lacking courage. We are all responsible because when we are afraid of playing and afraid of losing, it becomes too difficult. The fact we saw the second half being completely different, that means it is a psychological issue and we could only really get going once we'd fallen behind. If the team was bad all the way through, I'd say we were incapable. If the team was bad in every game, I'd say that was an issue. The fact that we had a totally different attitude in the second half means it is the mentality that was at fault. Why can't we start games like this? Why do we, we always have to wait until we've conceded goals? In my view, it's an issue of attitude. We had no courage in the first half, and I didn't see the team want to play. We were hesitant, passive, not making the passing li- lines available. It's all changed in the second half. That means it's mentality. I'm not saying I'm not responsible by the, by the way. This is just the reality. It is difficult to explain why we can't play like this for 90 minutes. The fact we haven't beaten the big clubs does create more anxiety, but only we can change that with our attitude. We might lose in the end anyway, but what we cannot accept is that is not having courage to take the game to them. This is unacceptable. Um, So yeah, Fonseca clearly saw this as a mentality issue. Um, But when Lorenzo Pellegrini was asked post-match about the problems, he saw it in a different way. Uh, He said, I don't feel like saying there wasn't the right attitude. In the first half, we were too deep, and they showed their qualities. In the second half, we approached it differently, and we did better. I can assure you that this match was prepared as an opportunity to demonstrate ambitions, and unfortunately, it didn't go that way. In the first half, we were deep and suffered. In the second half, we did better, but it didn't help. Um, He did say we prepared for the match without having to press high, but we must understand that being deep doesn't mean being passive. He said we must improve this aspect. and then he continued, he continued, absolutely, the match didn't go well, but we believe in it in terms of qualifying for the Champions League. Winning this match was worth more than three points for us. It would have been revenge from the first leg. There were many reasons it had to be the game of our ambitions, but it wasn't to be, but not because there was no ambition, but because it went like this. So Sean, what do you make of that? Because Fonseca clearly saw a mentality issue. Uh, you know, Pellegrini, not so much. Though. He said the ambitions were there, that they, they prepared and that they wanted this match. So what do you make of it?
1: Well, I'm confused by Pellegrini's quotes because mm. I, at first, he's saying he doesn't feel like putting it down to mentality or attitude issue, um, but then he willingly says at the end that uh, even though we're, you know, when even though sometimes the, the team will be set up to play more Italian style football where you're defending your your final third and uh, really inviting the opponents onto you, uh, that the Roma players haven't necessarily understood that that doesn't mean that. You 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 know you take the night off from being aggressive in in against your opponents, um, and to me that is an attitude problem mm-hmm. because I mean, uh, okay you can you can definitely like it starts by working on that on the training pitch by making sure that uh, the players understand what's expected of them um, that you know you, you understood you understand that okay if you go in into a match uh, defending your your final third as a, as a, as a starting point, then you have to be aggressive in your one-on-ones. That's that's mostly what is, what's expected in Italian football culture, especially. So, you know, the, the club has to definitely make the players aware that that's the expectation going into the game. And uh, in that sense, the coach is responsible there, that's for sure. But assuming that they've done that, because Pellegrini hasn't come out outright said, but, you know, we weren't prepared for this game. He just talked about how they were prepared for it um yeah you know, assuming that that's that's already been done and it really is on the players to just go out and perform so yeah. but to me that it sounds like it's uh it's either like an emotional block or but it, it basically comes down to the players and what's going on in their heads and in, in their hearts that's all what yeah I,
0: I have to agree I mean I, I think that it does come down to a mentality thing if if nobody in the locker room is making excuses that because of the trip to Ukraine they didn't have the proper time to prepare this match yada 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 nobody seemed to make making those kind of excuses um, with the quick turnaround if they felt like they were prepared and ambitious then you know if the strategy is to defend deep because the first time they played Napoli they tried to press a little higher and got beat uh, mm. then you know you take a different tactical approach but you're right. If you're going to defend deep, you can't be passive. And Pellegrini's right; you can't be passive. But then I agree with you. Then it becomes part of a mentality thing. Are you being too tentative defending deep? Um, you know, is that up to Fonseca in some ways to you know get on his team a little bit from the the touchline, maybe? But the players have to want it. I mean, I, you, we saw the the first ten minutes. You know, Roma just got overrun, and and right away we knew that was going to be an issue. I mean, I, I'm watching that match. I'm like, I don't have a good feeling about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the first ten minutes, you know, and 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 part of that is because of the the poor record against those sides. It really starts to to weigh on you. Uh, I I'd have to think as a fan and as a player. Yeah,
1: mm. I, I mean, the only thing I could because I have spent this well the last twenty four hours or so, like trying to trying to see it from the other point of view because I I think we both know that we're going to get on this podcast. We're both uh in favor of Fonseca being the coach, so. We have to be wary that we're not just looking at it from one side. Mm-hmm. Um, I've tried to look at it from the other side where, okay, wh- what is it that, where's Fonseca screwing up and what can he do better? Mm-hmm. And I think maybe the, the only thing I can question is whether um, whether in training sessions, does he ever put his defenders in one on one situations where it's just like, look, you got, you're going to get hit hard by this player dribbling at you and you've got to be strong and you've got to really intimidate that guy. So I want to see that does he does he really do those one-on-one drills I've never seen any evidence of uh Fonseca doing that either at Roma or Shakhtar um I don't know if, if other Serie A teams do it I don't know if uh if Atlanta does I know I know Atlanta they actually do a scrimmage where it's it's like all, all like players like all like get on the field and, and like everyone has to like win the ball like as fast as possible um and keep it and it's it's kind of like a it's kind of it reminds me of the Classico. classico I don't know if you've ever seen a game like that where it's it's, it's quite a violent sport it's uh, down in Siena. They do um that's that's what Gasparini's methods are like in mm. at Atlanta and in, and as a result you get a very tough atlanta team where you you kind of intimidated to take them on physically uh, Roma don't have that um so and uh, uh, that's that one like that one-on-one training is missing at the at, uh, at the club if that if that is missing then okay that's you know Fonseca has to really take care of that but And if that isn't missing, then I can only put it at the player's feet to really just treat themselves up and and really assume responsibility of what they know they should be doing.
0: Yeah, and in a match like this, I feel like that one-on-one defending is very difficult for our three center backs because when you have players like Mertens and Insigne running at you who are very pacey, I know Ibanez has pretty good pace for a center back and Mancini's not really lumbering, but he's not, you know, he doesn't run like, say, a Manolas or an Ibanez. And then, you know, it's a tough matchup to keep up with those those players one-on-one if you're expected to defend one-on-one you know so yeah. you know that's, that's something that step. you need to prepare them for I was you know at in in certain moments I was impressed with uh Mancini and and Ibanez keeping pace with some of those wingers other moments you know not so much but it's tough to stick with them for 90 minutes uh when yeah. they're running at you and just coming at you and coming at you uh, without respite um yeah
1: well that that was uh the very themes and the very detailed that that uh, people were fixated on in the media yeah. when uh, TMVU TM or TMW Radio, if you want, in English, uh, sort of like passed the microphone around this morning to get a, a reaction of uh, the Fonseca and Pellegrini's reaction. Yeah, but the media is sort of cottoning onto the scheme of, is, is the coach starting to lose the dressing room? And they asked Alessio Takinadi, who we, we've been uh, we've mentioned his opinions on here before, former UBA midfielder, he knows about winning. Uh, uh, Takenari said, Fonseca is a great European coach who suffers tactically in Serie A against closed teams, which is how the top teams have played against him in Italy. I think he's doing well, but you can't hide the weakness of his team right now. They defend high with fast defenders, but when it's time to defend their final third, those same defenders have problems. Allegri is a great coach, but if I were him, I'd go to Napoli. Roma has a team identity that's different to his own. So Takenari basically... Echoing what you've just said, Steve, which is that uh, in you know, coming up against fast players, uh, Roma struggle to get back. And they struggle really when they're isolated one-on-one. And also, uh, what, what do you think about his uh, his mention of Allegri? You know, where He doesn't fancy him as a candidate for coaching Rome.
0: Yeah, I, I personally don't see Allegri going to Roma. Um, you know, we have a roundtable discussion coming out later this week. Uh, talking about Fonseca, and one of the things is, who do you see coming to Roma? I, I don't think Allegri is, is the guy. We've, you know, that's the fancy name in the media to try. You know, that might be the dream for some people, but when he looks at this roster, is it built the way he built his Juve squads that won all those Scudetti? <laughs> I, I don't think so. You know, I think there's some good young talent on Roma. I like a lot of the pieces, um, but I think they fit a, a manager like Fonseca much better than a manager like El- Allegri. Um, mm. And I, I think what we're, what Tainardi says, is, it, it, he points out some good points, Roma in Europe uh, have done well, not at the Champions League level under Fonseca, albeit. But Shakhtar is a tough out. Shakhtar beat Real Madrid twice, uh, drew inter twice, uh, yeah. albeit nil nil. They didn't score on Inter, but they also didn't concede to Inter Meanwhile Roma beat them 5-1 in aggregate. So he shows that he can play with these European sides, um, but this, okay. meta- this Italian, uh, mentality of defending and sitting deep has caused Roma a lot of issues where they can't use the pacey wing backs to to beat teams on the counter they can't use Mkhitaryan speed to beat teams on the counter is where they tend to have the most issues when Roma's in possession of the ball is where they have the issues and then when teams come at them um at pace with the defenders up high that we see uh the one-on-one they they issues they don't know how to do they yeah. don't
1: know how to do it back to the other mm-hmm. to the other team yeah yeah
0: so I think he makes um, good
1: points yeah yeah well as he, that, those are definitely the, the key themes that we're seeing come out this week. It's uh, our, our Roma, the, the sole, our Roma, the right to be the sole Italian contender in Europe right now, the, the last ones left. And, uh, and also the players, um, whether well, it's a mentality versus a tactic issue. And obviously, Gaetano D'Agostino got uh, interviewed by Chain Radio, Radio. Um, and he again also touched upon these themes where he said, Fonseca was right to put his neck on the line and talk about courage after the game. If he brought the tactics into question after a defeat like this one that we saw against Napoli, that would have been worse. But he's a little too stubborn on some of his tactics and needs to be more elastic about his build-up play. He's lacking defenders who are capable of doing well in one-on-one situations. For me, Fonseca is doing a top job at Roma, but the squad he has still isn't top four level. Uh, What what do you think about the the little aspect he touched upon there about how you prepare a derby del sole? Because he's talking about, he's saying like, you know, if you're, if you come out after the game and, and you're a tactics buffing that talks about whether you could have, you know, done a fourth week won one better or, or whatever, then you're missing the point of what it's like to face an opponent like Napoli. So that, that's pretty important, isn't it, Steve?
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, D'Agostino makes a lot of great points here. When I first read this quote, I, I agreed with a lot of it. I think sometimes Fonseca can be a little stubborn with his tactics, but to come out and say uh, that the tactics were the problem after the defeat probably would have been worse because then it looks like the team is ill-prepared, uh, especially mm. when you're a manager who's looking to keep your job. Uh, and, and now is probably in more jeopardy with Roma falling into sixth, uh, almost seventh because Lazio is a match in hand. Um, yeah. I, I think that that is a, a great point. I think Fonseca is doing a good job for the most part, but we see that when it comes to fighting for the top four with those teams head to head, they just aren't getting it done, which is crazy because usually you're able to get that right a couple times a season, even when you're, you know, borderline top four, you can usually beat those kind of teams. It, it really is crazy how, poor Roma's been against those teams um and I think the the more it happens the more it snowballs and the mentality becomes an issue I think that the four nothing defeat to Napoli really started the whole downward trend against the top seven because the first two matches against top teams Juve and Milan were draws um Mm. so I wonder how much that four nothing defeat at Napoli had to do with you know the whole spiral you know downward spiral we've seen
1: yeah yeah fair enough I mean well where, where, what I took out of D'Agostino's commentary really that, um, you know, me as a fan, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not leaving these games worried about or like, really my first like point of anger isn't read really that uh, with, you know, whether we uh, should have uh, posted Diawara further up high or, or whether he should be, you know, passing the ball vertically or whether, you know, we should be closing down their fullbacks mm-hmm. or you know, like, ta- tactics aren't what annoys me or, or gets me down after these these games, at least not as the first point of call. But the first thing that annoys me is that we put up two feature picks and I was, I was one of them of Dries Martins in our articles because mm-hmm. that's all we have to do. And mm-hmm. We have a Roma Neil, Napoli too. As a of the game is Dries Martins Yet again, he's he's uh, you know he's scored against us. And that, that's what annoys me as a Roma fan. That's what we talked about this season is that, um, you know, and this is, a, this is a Roma that I asked for. So I, I've gotten what I've asked for for years. And I'm typically, like, you know, the, the human condition, I don't like what I've been asking for once I get it which is a Roma team that can play to levels expected um, and not necessarily be just a team that shows up for the big games and uh, punches above their weight and then, and then falls flat against small teams. You know, now, now we've got a Roma that's more predictable where you can schedule the results, and I don't like it. Because, yeah. like you said, um, when you're you know, posting on Twitter or when you're talking with other Serie A fans, you're, you're not going to be speaking as uh, you know, uh, bantering with Spezia fans. you be bantering with Napoli, with the Milan, mm-hmm. with Inter. And we we got nothing to talk about because we're just lost in all these games. <laughs> yeah, <You know? laughs> yeah, like it's
0: it's 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 tough. Yeah. Uh, and and at, like you're right, as a fan, you want to see the passion from the players. Uh, it, mm-hmm. And there wasn't much there yesterday. And when yeah. you know the, the anger started coming out at the end, and Mancini is a player I, I really like, and you know that. Um, mm-hmm. well, me it, too. Me yeah. Um, yeah. But the 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 things he was doing with Osimon at the end of the game were were not good. You know he's lucky he didn't <laughs> get a second card. He's very fortunate.
1: Um, I, I thought I like he pushed it, but I didn't think it was as bad as the ESPN yeah. commentator was making out.
0: But he definitely was pushing the envelope a little bit, considering he had yeah. a card. I, I you know, he he grew up idolizing Materazzi, which is why he wears a 23, I believe, and you could kind of yeah. see that a little bit coming out yesterday. Yeah. And look, it, it, it in a way it shows he cares, but at the same time, like don't do stupid things, you know.
1: Yeah. Don't yeah. Don't go making it worse. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, that's why I took out D'Agostino is just that um, you know, after, after a game like this you really talk about um the fact that we lost against rival not not whether we could do better on attack tackle mm-hmm. support and I agree with that Um, then uh, Amadeo Carbone former Roma defender club legend really uh, had his say again to TNVU Radio where he uh, said Fonseca has great ideas and uh, by the way I just want to say to our readers uh, listeners we're not being selective about these quotes here. We, we generally struggled to find quotes from you know balancing out to the other side where they were purely criticizing or giving the, the lion's share the responsibility towards Fonseca for what's going wrong. Um, these are all former players being interviewed, whether, whether they're former Roma players or former Serie A winners. And like, it's like nine to 10 saying that Fonseca is the right man for the job and he's, he's punching above his weight. So Carboni is one of them as well, saying Fonseca has great ideas, I wouldn't put him up for discussion, at least until the end of the season. This squad is made up of too many young players to aim for Champions League qualification, but Fonseca has them playing well. Uh, Ottavo Bianchi came up with uh, a different slant. Uh, He was actually interviewed before the game, before with the Roma loss, um, in the build-up, because Bianchi is uh, a guy who's managed both Roma and Napoli in the 90s. He actually directly left Roma to go manage Napoli and and took uh, Sebastiano Nela with him. Um, and uh, he was asked by Ilmatino what, uh, what it's like to coach um, both clubs, and he said, those are the two places that are most difficult to coach a team. It's not just me that says this, but everyone. That's because those are the two places where players are forgiven for everything, whereas the coach becomes the focus of everyone's attention. If you lose a game because your striker just hit the post on an open goal, the very next morning, everyone will be asking for the coach's head. It's been that way since forever. And I want to thank Bianchi for that because he really has voiced something that I couldn't put better into words. But how, how do you think, how do you see it, Steve? Is it is it a bit too strong of a take on one-sided or, or is it true?
0: I mean, I, I think they are probably two of the most difficult places to manage because there's, you know, that that Southern mentality is very passionate in Italy, whereas the, the Northern sides, I guess, have had more winning uh, and they're a little more business-like, the UVs and the Inter's of the world. I, I don't know. It's, I guess it's just that mentality difference, you know. Um Great. But we do see that the players get forgiven a little more quickly than the, the, the managers. The managers become scapegoats a lot of the time. I mean, we could even look further south into Palermo. I mean, yeah. Zamparini was famous for just axing like three coaches a season uh, because I think managers are the easiest person to blame. I think <laughs> you see that. you even see that with uh, other sports here in the, the States, and I'm sure in Britain too, that managers are usually the first ones to take the heat unless a player does something egregious uh, yeah. that is completely out of you know, the ordinary. Uh, the manager is yeah. going to be the first ones. They're 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 the the head you know they're the head honcho. Well,
1: mostly it was because it's just cheaper to blame manager. Yeah, and, you know, if, that true. It's cheaper. Yeah, you're going to, you're to player, him, you're be yeah, the action player. He's getting paid three three four times more than the coach. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to, to hold players responsible. Yeah, um, for me, Bianchi's words are like literally they were like music to my ears because uh, one thing that really. Uh, Get, frustrates me after these kind of losses is that it's just players are referred to and spoken about by other fans um as like their children you know like like almost like it's, it's almost like an assumption that uh, form follow fu- function form follows function sorry on the field whereas like so like say for example yesterday we saw yet again Roma defending deep in the first 10 minutes um being very passive and looking timid. And it's almost like assumed that, okay, that's the way the coach told them to play. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just not like that. Sometimes, uh, you know, the game is prepared in in a different way. And then you come out onto the the field and players just don't do the job. And that's when you really, like, if you want these players to grow, they have to be able to um, have a space for themselves where they can hold themselves accountable and ask themselves tough questions and and really set goals and and understand where they're falling short, those goals, so that they Mm -hmm. understand the work they have to put in to make it up. Uh, for that you know, and, and make up that distance um, that's the same for everyone it's the same for me it's the same for Steve the same for all of you out there um, but unfortunately in, in football at least from the outside looking in as a fan I see a bubble where it's like players are just like oh you know if you messed up this week don't worry you know the coach should have told you to do this the coach should have told you to do that the coach should have you know reminded you where to you know where where the toilet seat is so that you could you know not mess <laughs> it up as well it's just it's just it's a very babying mentality I, I don't know if it's uh, specific to Roma, if it if it happens, it's just in football in general. But obviously, I'm a Roma fan, and most of my week, if I'm paying attention to football, is, is paying attention to Roma almost exclusively. So, thank you, Otavio Yankee for for at least putting those words out there. Um, at least I know I'm going to go crazy. Um, what How about, about the Massimil- next one? We
0: have our future uh, Roma manager. Some people yes. eyes, Allegri.
1: <laughs> yes, the man, the man himself, Massimiliano Allegri had his, had to say after the game. Um, he wasn't specifically interviewed about this, uh, this Roma result. He was just coming on to, I believe it was a radio show to talk about football. Um, Allegri with a lot of time in his hands because he's on paid leave from Juve. Um, but uh, he, we're only going to focus on the, the part where he's asked about Fonseca's words uh, after the Roma's loss. And he said, I haven't heard Fonseca's words after the game, but it's difficult to restore belief to a team at this stage of the season. It's hard to resolve any problems in March or April. Those kind of problems are better resolved in November. In this stage of the season, the team has to travel, so there's no time for a swan song. The players don't understand what you want after six months, they never will. So basically, if if this has become a case where Fonseca is losing the dressing room, apparently for Allegri, that's, uh, you know, that's a, a point of no return, Steve. Uh, did you, do you agree with that? Is, is the dressing room lost forever or, or can, can this be redeemed re- in some way? I
0: don't think it's lost forever yet, but I do agree with him that it will be hard to fix some of these problems at this point in the season because you even think that uh, or the next big chance to beat a top side is Atalanta come mid-April or so. And you know in that time, they have those Ajax matches in the Europa League mm. where... Uh, they're traveling again to Amsterdam, and they have a midweek match to prep. Even when it's a home match, so it'll be a quick turnaround. And I know the Atalanta match is a midweek match, so you, you're coming, you know, three days after a, a regular weekend match. So it's gonna be a busy stretch. Uh, I don't know if all these problems had to be resolved in November because Roma didn't really have these issues until November. Uh, the first time they lost to Napoli, I think it was right around the end of October, early November. So, you know, at that point, it was one loss. You know, it wasn't a, a yeah. whole string of defeats. So. But I think his words have some merit and, you know, he, he is an authority on these kind of things. He's won plenty of times yeah. at Juve. So, um... Yeah.
1: He's the, the winningest manager in City our history. Most yeah. titles won. So I'm, I'm not going to argue with Allegri there. Um, I, I just thought it was it was an insightful quote in terms of how you how you coach over the course of the season. And mm-hmm. uh, some things that you, you, problems you can confront in winter, you can't yeah. confront in spring. So I 100% take Allegri's words on that uh then okay we promised you that we'd try and bring both sides of the argument so the lone dissenting voice in rome this week was from uh ex roma captain giuseppe giannini the captain of the 90s um bit of a elite uh, spark in the 80s as well but uh, his career sort of fizzled out on the international level prematurely um he spoke to Rete sport and um he had a lot to say uh problems to pick out all over the shop almost like when you buy something on Amazon and you you just have buyer's remorse and you just start picking up like almost every little problem that went wrong with it. So Janine is firmly of the opinion that uh, it's a tactical issue and that Fonseca is number one to blame here. He said, talking after the fact is always easy, but we saw a Roma that was in Napoli's hands after just 10 minutes of the game. Zielinski found space between the lines at ease. While there were three Roma defenders all staying too close to Martins and his attacking teammates had a lot of space to create danger. Immediately, my, immediately, I immediately thought the starting lineup was the wrong one. If the plan was to play aggressive and offensive football, then Cristante should have played the midfield. A five-man back line was always half and half. They never really defended too deep or too high. Uh, but Pellegrini struggled to close down Madero. Wii, and Diwara was pressed in the middle of the pitch by Napoli's midfield, who obviously had the numbers advantage. These are aspects of the game that the coach should understand immediately. Then comes the psychological aspect of the game, but Fonseca too too much time to read these troubles. So, uh, what do you think, Steve? Genuinely, basically saying that uh, Fonseca can bring up uh, you know the mental side of the game after the fact, but first of all, you've got you've really got to make sure your tactics are straight.
0: Yeah, I mean, one thing that Fonseca has come under heat about, and I you know as much as I like Fonseca, I do see this issue from time to time, is where he is slow to adjust in game uh, with his yeah. tactics or to make those kind of reads. So I can't disagree with Giannini too much here. Um, I don't know if starting Cristante would have been the right play because then you're playing three young center backs and maybe Fonseca was looking more to have a, a calming presence, even if, you know, Cristante isn't a full-time center back. He sung his high praises as a center back in the pre-match pe- press conference. And, sure. um, you know, it's tough because we, we talk about the lack of Jordan Verre Vera too. And I think this is a match where you see that uh, result of not having Vertu where you have to play either Pellegrini or VR deep in the midfield with Diorara uh, and maybe if a Vertu's there he reads the game better from a defensive aspect who knows but I think Fonseca does you know adjust slowly in game because you saw the second half they came out differently uh, approached it differently and things got better now granted Napoli was up to nothing so that could have part of it that Napoli was a bit more passive on, uh, on their end um, but you saw that, but even the pressing in the second half, I saw the ESPN announcer me- mentioned it a few times here in the United States. Uh, i not sure if you guys get the same feed in the UK, but he mentioned that when they were pressing, it was almost like they weren't pressing as a unit, you know, that the front mm-hmm. men would be pressing high, but then there would yeah. be these big gaps in the midfield. So yes. um, there's definitely some tactical issues uh, to point out in this one.
1: Yeah. Uh, but I mean, again, to me, that that's the players. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to deny what Janini pointing out as as the problems or the reason behind this loss. You know, but often the Roman midfielders found outnumbered. Uh, I have noticed that lately, we switched from you know, when we started out with Fonseca last season, we defended four four two off the ball, mm-hmm. and now it looks like we're defending five two three. Yeah, um, and uh, that's very strange to see a team a team that. Um, defense with just two men in midfield or the yep. ball, like almost like you're inviting uh the opponent to play out wide so that you can trap them. But it's I think it's 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 so obviously done that it's kind of like people say it's predictable. And yep. I just don't think it works. So i you know I I agree with Giannini in terms of the the root tactical problems here. Um uh, sorry, not I wouldn't say root tactical problems, but the end result is is at the end it's a, it's still a problem. You know whatever whatever whether it's tactical mental. The end result is that Roma is outnumbered at mid- midfield. Um, the De the Pellegrini would left with too much work to do. Um, also sometimes they don't really understand or like have enough time to, to really get on top of their work. Um, they look at sometimes a step behind with the play. So you know, but uh, I think that. Uh, the, uh, uh, this is where I disagree is that I think Fonseca set up the team so that you can adjust in, into the match yourself, right like, so if you're, if you're out in the outcome midfield the solution is very simple at first is that first of all you're expecting Cardinal spinzo to, to push up um, mm-hmm. is that they, they go into midfield then you have then you have at least four men in midfield if not if not more if someone drops deep. Um, then that's, that's that's why I disagree is that fundamentally I think that on like the players have been given options to read the game themselves. And use their intuition to crowd out the ball as and when needed on the, mm-hmm. in any side of the pitch. And for some reason, the players just don't react. They don't use their instincts. They they just go in their shells and and they you know they play. Uh, I don't know. It it looks organized on the on the on the on the pitch, but so it maybe I'm wrong and maybe this really is tactics. But for me, I just think that uh, we've seen enough evidence this season where. When, when you come up against weaker opponents, the Roma players are very fluid and they do adapt because they're, they're finding it so easy against the weaker opponents. So they just you know they believe in themselves and they, they're like, oh you know mm-hmm. what, this this whole is a bit of a lock I mean, I'm, I'm just gonna you know find it easy today. I'm just gonna do you know three or four different roles as and when needed. And you know if you could, considering we've seen that, that they can do that in the games against smaller opponents then I have those like, same expectations of them using their intuition in that very same way against stronger opponents. But for some reason, well, for many reasons, that just hasn't been the case. Um, but for me, again, that's, that's on the players.
0: Yeah. Can't put it all on Fonseca, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, Checo Graziani, we're going to finish off with uh, Graziani. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't really have a, an amazing Roma career, more, more known for his years a Torino, but he still won the title with Roma. So um, he was interviewed by roma And uh, he was firmly in Fonseca's camp and pretty much echoes what we're saying about players have to be, uh, have to learn how to to hold themselves accountable. He says, this Roma struggles when it's up against fast opponents. The team plays at a rhythm that's too slow. Here in Italy, we only have Atlanta that plays as a a high-tempo team on the European stage. Roma always plays at a slow tempo, but instead, whenever they played at high-tempo, aggressive and played vertical, they become a tough team to face. Especially when you have fast and quick players up front like Mick Italian and Pedro. And then, as far as for Pedro yesterday, he did so little. We expected more of him. When it comes to the record against big teams, that's not Fonseca's fault, but the whole team's fault. If we want to believe that Fonseca is ill, we're mistaken. Fonseca has a share of responsibility in this without doubt, but the majority of his responsibility has to go to the players. They're given a, they've given a lot less than what we expected of them. Uh, what do you think about Graziano's take on this?
0: Yeah, I agree. I I think, and I think this is why we have such a hard time breaking down those teams that like to sit deep against us, is because Roma does play at too slow of a tempo sometimes. You know, when Roma plays quick on the counter, they're so dangerous. But when they have to, you know, be the team in possession for a large majority of the match, like we saw against Juve, like we've seen against. Um, Udinese and some of these other matches, they move the ball slowly, and, and it's hard for them to find the goals because teams just will move with the ball and defend and not give them many looks at goal. Uh, mm-hmm. And we saw it again yesterday, not not moving the ball quick enough. Uh, some people will point to that, you know, Jeka was in the match or Pedro's in the match or who, whoever it may be, but it, it's a it's a whole team issue, I think, when they're moving the ball slowly like that.
1: Yeah, and that that's what I mean before by we've seen the evidence that they can play you know, um, what we expected them to do against the big teams. They've done it against small teams. I mm-hmm. remember there was a match against Cotone where, okay, uh, albeit Cristante was in midfield by the end of that game, but he he had like a, a spell of play for like 10 minutes where he was just like, like dead hot. Like you have never seen Cristante play this good in his life. He was like, he was being like, literally like Totti in the field. He, he would string together... Um, like one twos between teammates uh, they were not not pointlessly, it would actually move the ball up like 30 yards and Cristante was at the heart of play in all of this and like his his first touch was supreme um, it was fast, Like it, it was just football that Crotone couldn't keep up with and that that isn't just strictly down to Cretone being Crotone it helps that they, are, that they are who they are because then Roma go into, those, into the matches feeling confident and then they pull stuff off and they feel even more confident but first and foremost, the majority of it is confidence itself. You know? mm-hmm. Like the confidence to actually play that way and, and play dead hot. So um, that's why I'm saying for me, I feel like it's on the players to, to try and take how they feel in those games and transport that however they can to the, to the big sides, because we know that in the setup they've been given, they can be fluid and they can react as the max uh, asked them to react. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know they've been given all the tools and they're set up to do it and they've been given the teammates to do it as well um it's you know it's really just on them uh, that's that's how i feel about it um, but i, I also like Graziani's words for um really focusing on on pace in terms of like technical pace not just physical because a lot of people wouldn't necessarily uh, associate pedro with being one of the fastest in the team well, one thing that's really uh, um I I've, I've disagreed with this here. Is Pedro being given this pretext of being an, an old guy on the team so you, like as if he struggles are down to uh, physical problems like, like as if he like he can't keep up with the pace of City it's not I don't see that being the case I think that Pedro's performances have been undeniably bad um on the whole but mostly because he's just making mistakes that you wouldn't expect Pedro mm-hmm. to make you know it's not like it's not a age or a leg thing it's it's just that he's got so much experience and he, he's won games by playing smarter than he's playing for Rome right now. Um, you see a Pedro in, in Roma who is dribbling into op- opposition. He's, he's overrunning the ball. He's dribbling in places on the pitch where you shouldn't be dribbling. If, you know, mm-hmm. you shouldn't lose the ball in this position. If you put your, your team in a bad position when, when you lose the ball. And these are just like, these are primavera mistakes that we're seeing from Pedro. So um, definitely a guy who is technically... Uh, on the ball and, and he has enough to keep up with the pace of the game or even to, even to dictate the pace for Roma, mm-hmm. or at least that's how we hoped when, when we signed him. But um, just, I don't know what's going, going on with him that he is just almost like totally switched this game up to be like more egocentric and just, I don't know. I don't know how that happens in Roma. What, what's going on with Pedro? I don't know. Like you said, more
0: egocentric maybe because he is one of the uh, older players in the team. Maybe he's not surrounded by the same talents he was surrounded by at Chelsea mm. and Barcelona, who also commanded the ball the same way. Maybe he feels like uh, he, he, you know, can do those things. Uh, maybe he's trying to approach the match differently because he doesn't see the same big names around him. I don't know, but I was a bit skeptical of the signing when it happened more because of his age. Um, mm. I didn't expect him to be making mistakes like this. I expected him to be more just, you know, not able to handle the workload and things like that. But we're seeing those yeah. mistakes, like you mentioned, which are not characteristic of a player like him. So it, it is a bit disheartening. Um, and I, I, I'm I'm unhappy to say my skepticism is is uh, kind of true here, and you know, your, your you know it's kind of validated, yeah. 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 So well, on enough. that note, we'll take a, a quick commercial break, uh, we'll come back at you guys with a quick recap of the Napoli match, we won't dwell on it, and then we have some user questions, so we'll see you guys on the other side of the break.
1: Okay, we're back from our break, and we really won't dwell on this loss, we're just going to quick recap and, and figure out what what part of the uh, match was down to mentality and what part of it was down to tactics? Because that's what people will be talking all week. So let's prepare you for the week ahead. The uh, de Sole has been shaded by Napoli in recent years, including the 4 0 defeat at, um, earlier this season at what was the last game uh, played at the Stadio that, that was then known as the Stadio San Paolo, obviously, now it's as the Stadio Maradona. Uh, um, this game was opened by Dries Mertens' free kick just before half hour. Uh, very similar to how Lorenzo Sr. opened it up with a free kick in the 4-0 in the defeat away to Napoli earlier this season. And it was also finished by Dries Mertens' goal before half-time that was assisted by Matteo Bolitano. Um, Dries Mertens now has scored eight goals in his, last fifth, fifth, in, his, in his 15 Serie A total games, career games against Roma League, league games. Um, so, he's, you know, Mertens has definitely always been a thorn in Roma's side from day one um Paulo Fonseca's record against top top rivals where does that stand well now uh since his Serie a career has begun he's only got three wins seven draws and 11 defeats in 21 games against uh top 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 rivals we don't know if it's top six or or top whatever but because we're taking these stats from Cordero De La Sport's article on it um they make it out that Fonseca has won a total of 16 points of a possible 63 points since he's begun his Serie A career, so of one and a half seasons, uh, really not a great ratio in terms of uh, big crunch games. Um, Steve, what, what do you make of Martins and Fonseca? Quick, quick take on that.
0: Well, Mertens reminds me. <laughs> we're both New York Islander fans in hockey, and that kind of reminds me every time the Islanders play the Penguins. Sidney Crosby has like almost a point a game record against the Islanders because there were so many bad seasons there. So that's what that reminded me of. Um, <laughs> but the fun second number is like those are just it, it, it's it's scary bad when you look at three wins, seven draws, eleven feats. When it's spelled out like that, uh, you see w- where the concern is among Romanisti. I mean, yeah. I follow a lot of other Twitter accounts of people who host podcasts, writers, and just fans in general of other teams. And one of the people I follow, Frank Ravella, who hosts the the Great Serie A Sit Down, uh, had something to the effect this morning of the sun rose today and Roma lost to another top seven Serie A side, <laughs> and it was just like there's nothing I could eat. there's no way to even say anything back to that because it's just yeah. true, you know. So you uh, watch by it, yeah, yeah. You can set your set the clock, set the alarm. Yeah.
1: What about, um, let's go through the key moments. So the first 10 minutes of the game, we mentioned it before, Roma, we, we, we saw it coming because we saw them defending deep, five men in the back. Uh, was that deliberate in your view, or is Fonseca right to call it mentality and courage?
0: Uh, it seems like it was a deliberate tactical move. Uh, even Pellegrini admitted that they wanted to sit back, I, but I think the way they sat back, like we mentioned earlier, was the issue being very passive and letting Napoli just come at them. I, I think that seems to be the issue based on the quotes.
1: Yeah, uh, I I can't disagree with that. Um, I I don't know why Fonseca sets would set his team up to to go and like deliberately bait opponents onto them, uh, other than obviously looking for that fast break. But the way it was done, uh, I mean, if if Fonseca really set them up in that way to do it that way, uh, then I mean, whoever whoever's idea was it didn't work. So just yeah. don't do it again, please um and uh yeah for the rest of it just too passive and, and like people have been saying around football um we're not very confident about this Roma team uh, when the defenders are are caught in one-on-one situations we're not confident about our roma team being aggressive enough in those one-on-one situations right now so uh you know we're really looking for more aggression there and, and but you know that's, that's why Gianluca Mancini is lauded in some corners because he mm-hmm. is the one showing aggression, even though mm-hmm. he does push, push the envelope. <coughs> but frankly, some of us will take more of that right now than, than less. So, um, yeah, that's really that's that wrapped up. But what about the Mertens goal at 1-0? Um well, you know, Steve, we, me and you both talked about it on the air beforehand. So just just <laughs> mention what we said when yeah. we were thinking about Mertens getting, winning that free kick on the edge of the box.
0: Yeah, when, when Ibanez brought down Mertens right at the edge of the box, I, I actually thought it was going to be Insigne who stepped up and, and probably yeah. buried it. I had a bad feeling about it. It happened to be Mertens instead to add to his total what would have been his seventh goal against Roma before he got the eighth. But it was yeah. just it was one of those plays where you're like, oh, I have a bad feeling about this. Uh, and yep. our our pessimism was, uh, you know, unfortunately came came to fruition there because the worst case scenario was Napoli was up one nothing just like that.
1: Yeah, I, I immediately felt when we drew when well, Grantham drew to do the free kick that it was going to be one nil. Um, really, really generally hot my head. I can I can say that. Um, and yeah, he like said that was Razzie. Uh, what about um, Ibanez getting in the book for taking the yellow for that free kick and uh, also not, not being awarded because uh, it went down 1-0 anyway. And now he's found himself suspended against Swallow. Will you be missing Ibanez next week or, or does he need to spell out of the team with, given his, his performance against Napoli?
0: Yeah, so I like Ibanez. You know, you and I are both fans of him. I think he has a vast potential. But we've seen in these in these big matches the, the Lazio defeat and now this one and even some other moments in big matches, Sevilla, uh, he is still a young player and he makes these mistakes. I understand why he made the challenge on Mertens when he did because he was probably afraid Mertens was going to have a, an open look at goal at, in the moment. Um, but, you know, I think with the, the international break and the, given the time for Smalling to recuperate, I think, you know, he's a loss, but he's not a huge loss because we'll probably have Mancini, Smalling, and Kambula ready for that Sassuolo match. I think Roma could... Could deal without him, but I, I mm. I'm hoping he starts to perform a little bit better in some of these big matches because we see his youth in these matches.
1: Yeah, I definitely see uh, it's been uh it's, it's growing pains with the Banyas, but uh I'm gonna be honest, I struggle to like the recently. Mm. Um I, I someone mentioned it on the boards, so I think it was Jans eighty-four and uh he took the words right out of my mouth and that Roger Banyas is someone that I I don't think I've ever felt this way about another Roman player where I simultaneously love him and dislike him in, in the space of 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really related to this question, but just like, you know, an example yesterday is when I see him uh, push up, win the ball, and drive it uh, down the left wing into Daphley's penalty box. Okay, great. I love him for the fact that he has the talent and the courage to do that, that he can be a ball carrier in that way. I dislike the fact that he he never looked up as, as, he got, mm-hmm. as soon as he got in the box. He never yeah. looked up. He just looked at the ball. Waited for contact and went down. Yep. And uh, I, I, is it, unfortunately he has that mentality where he takes a dive.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: not, not just, not just in the opponent's half. He does it in the defensive half as well. Yep. And sometimes that will leave us exposed and naked because he's just doing stupid things like that, where it's just so blatant and the referee won't buy it. Yeah. Um, I remember the Roman fans on, on our forum were praising, uh, the referee display against a uh, Shakhtar earlier in the week where they, um, uh, they were saying uh, it's good to get a ref that you know doesn't buy into cheap free kicks and fouls. Okay, I agree with that on, on principle, but then some of the same forum members were saying after this Napoli game that um, some of our um, women players should, been, should have been smarter about protecting the ball and drawing fouls and going down as a way to get back in the game. You can't have it both ways, you know. Yeah. You, either you want the game to be played one way or the other. And I'd rather see the game be played without cheap fouls. Yep, um, I and agree. Unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, Banez is looking for those cheap fouls, so I, yeah. I just... I wish he would show more self belief. That's what I'm getting. At.
0: Yeah. Um, and then uh, in the 34th minute, unfortunately, Ibanez was was somewhat at fault for the second goal. Um, you know, yeah. he didn't really pick up Politano, got beat on a, a header by Politano, who's not a big striker by any means. And Politano uh, headed the cross back across to Mertens, who headed it in pretty much unmarked by um, Cristante, kind of lost his mark there. Mertens, of all people, five foot five or whatever he is, headed home pretty much to an open goal because Paulo Lopez got caught out uh not expecting Politano to kind of head it back across and you know we 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 jokingly were talking about Ibanez heading to PSG next year as the next Marquinhos but I think we're starting to see that those uh early jokes were a bit uh ill-founded because he is he is struggling in these matches so what did you make of that second goal uh Sean who was most at fault
1: Yeah when when I saw it live my first first point of blame was Ibanez again uh because I saw him Caught in two minds and just slow to to really uh, close the space from Politano and, and end up like uh, when he was while he was having that, that debate in his head about whether to run back or or move off of him uh, he achieved nothing and essentially left Politano free. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see Cristante uh, not picking up Martin's live, but that was brought up after on a forum. And I also don't remember. Um, who originally sent the cross-field ball to Politano and, and whether we could have closed them down or not. But uh, for me, it was Ibanez mostly. What about you?
0: Yeah, I, I put it mostly on Ibanez for getting out jumped by Politano and allowing him to put that back across um, and then kind of gets everybody else caught in no man's land. That I, I did not have a good feeling about Ibanez's
1: performance yesterday. Mm. What about the other end of the field? Did, did Roman manage to create any danger?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, right in the, you know, Roma came out pretty well in the first 15 minutes of the second half. Pellegrini had a free header. Unfortunately, it was right at uh, Ospina. That was within the first three to five minutes of the second half. uh, Didn't go in. And I kind of felt Roma growing into the match just a little bit. And I said to myself at the 50th minute right after that save that, you know, Roma kind of needed a goal in the next 10 minutes to get back in it and give themselves a chance at least to to level it. And I thought we were going to get it because right around the 60th minute, uh, Lorenzo Pellegrini, hit the post um, with a, with a pretty good shot, just didn't curl enough to go in. Um, And then Roma, from what I remember there, that was the best chance they had. I think Cristante had a shot on target later on when he had pushed up, I believe. But other than that, Roma didn't have many other chances. Funny thing is the XG finished with Roma at a 0.73 and Napoli at a 1.07. So, you know, they, they, according to the, expected goals, which isn't the Bible and the be all end all Roma was not, you know, that far outplayed in terms of shots on target by Napoli because Napoli didn't do much in the second half. They got their two goals and they were pretty content with that. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's where it ended.
1: No, That's how I would have played if I'm 2-0 you know, up yeah. at the end because the I just sit back and enjoy my lead. Yeah. yeah. So
0: we'll move on now to some listener questions from Twitter. Uh, you know, Brent put out a, a, you know, asking people to, you know, kind of give us some ideas of what they wanted to hear us talk about on the pod. So we're, we're going to read out some of those. So, I'll read them. Sean will respond with some thoughts. And um, this first one was uh, submitted by Gervasso Paradiso, the Twitter uh, user. And he said, more often than not, we see Roma players express their frustration. Example, Mancini versus Milan, Carsover versus Napoli on teammates' mistakes. And most times they look like spectators of their own match. Do you think it was related to the coach not being able to bring out the passion to them, the players lacking that same passion, a mix of both? I honestly think the lack of on field leadership and star power to some extent is the real limit of this team. So what do you think,
1: Sean? I agree with you, Gervasso Paradiso. I remember after we crashed out this season against Spezia in the Cup, uh, we published an article on Chiesa that mirrored uh, that very same Cup defeat uh, years and years and years back in the Scudetto winning season of 2000-2001, where in September of 2000, uh, Roma crashed out against Atalanta in the Coppa Italia in the first time of asking. And I was when Atalanta was a very small team, very Spezia-like team. So that was a similar upset where Roma began the season, you know, hyping up their chances of winning the title, and then they crash out the cup, and everyone's thinking, oh my God, uh, we look like clowns. This is a nightmare. <laughs> and specifically, why I mentioned that is because uh, both the, the, the club captain at the time and the coach uh, headed off against each other in the press, similar to like what we've seen this week with Pellegrini, um, and also very similar to what we saw earlier on this season with Jacko and Fonseca. And uh, Capello said, look, I prepared the match as well as I can. And uh, it's really on the players 100% to show it out on the pitch, like to play how I asked them to. Um, and Totti went up against him and said, look, it's 50-50. But, you know, even, even as Totti was trying to defend his, his own dressing room, he said, it's, you know, it's 50-50. And the coach can only do so much to prepare us men- uh, like emotionally and uh, like try and transmit that kind of like that desire, that will to win. But really, like, it's on us to, to really find that within ourselves. And if you're a top player, if you're, you know, not necessarily a leader, but, um, you know, like a point of reference, you can be relied on to, to like carry the emotional weight of the team and be that emotional fulcrum on the pitch, then you can find that within yourself. Uh, I don't see many of our players right now who, who have that. And that's not, that's not to write off our younger players, but really sometimes uh, to be able to show or to know how, how you, where you can express that on the pitch, you need a, like a world-class teammate besides you to be that example. Um, we don't really have that right now. What we mm-hmm. have is Edin Dzeko, who is struggling to to express himself in a healthy way. Um, Pedro, who's just struggling in general. Um, you know, almost everyone except for Mkhitaryan and Smalling are uh, in, in terms of in terms of experienced players who've won stuff and know how to to manage themselves. Um, that everyone, all the points of reference are in difficulty at the moment, and it's really yeah. a lot of our responsibility has fallen to a young guy like Gianluca Mancini.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, so a n- next user question comes from uh, Maltese Romanista. He asked, why does Fonseca keep on doing the same mistakes against big sides? If Roma do part ways with Fonseca are the alternatives? And he put in Prenzzi, Sadi, Deservi, Yurch, Allegri, any better? Um, do you think Fonseca, Fonseca would be able to achieve the top four if he had a better goalkeeper or striker like a Milik?
1: I mean, yeah, better goalkeeper, yeah. Uh, that's no knock on Palopez's Lopez's recent form, because I, I noticed that yesterday an article came out that, with a headline that said, Palo Lopez's exit from uh, Roma is no longer a given. Mm. Um, and the article's basically talking about how the club are, considering keeping on Lopez as number one choice. And that speaks to his, his recent form. But still, uh, this goes back to the, the emotional aspect we talked about in the last question, which is that, uh, you you also want a keeper that instills confidence in you emotionally, like you you can mm-hmm. rely on him to be the bedrock. Yep. And I think we're all agreed, regardless of how well Lopez plays, um, he's not that kind of keeper that like you feel like safe at the back. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, better keeper you could definitely do with one in terms of the leadership aspect. Uh, striker, yes for sure. You need a replacement for De- for Jacko right now because um, he just seems like he's in the- he's gone mentally really. Um, and that's the first season that I would say that some people some people claim that Dzeko would be pushing for uh, a move for years but I've only seen it this season where it's really the relationship has broken down to where it is right now as far as the coaches no I don't feel there are any better alternatives than Fonseca I really feel like a club like Roma will struggle to get a a guy that brings the the total package that Fonseca brings the only guy I see doing better and being realistically tailored for a club like Fonseca uh, for like uh, Roma sorry is Mauricio Sari. Um, if that happened, if, if Sari was the next guy, I think former a coach this, this summer, I'd be very happy with that. But uh, I'd also be happy with Fonseca stay. What about you, Steve?
0: Yeah, I agree. I I I personally am hoping Fonseca does enough to finish the year to 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 have the ownership feel confident because uh, he has done a lot with our younger players. We've seen a lot of individual improvements, even with some uh, not so young players like Spinazzola, who's more in his prime. Uh, I do think he's going to have to finish out somewhat strong too, uh, especially because he wasn't hired by Pinto or the Friedkins. I think he's got that weight on his shoulders too. But mm. yeah, outside of like Sadi, who can play with these type of players, I think that we have with his up-tempo football, uh, I don't think like Allegri fits the style of the players. I think it would take a complete overhaul, which Roma can't afford. Uh, Juric and Deserbi Zerbi. Are, is, Juric, I have more compliments for than De Zerbi right now because he's overachieving, in my opinion, with Hellas. But he plays a much more defensive style, so I don't know if, if that's where Roma wants to go with this group of players. So, yeah, I agree. I think it's Fonseca. If it's if any of those others, I think it's Sadi would be the most logical fit in terms of player personnel that we have. Um, so keep in talk- mind,
1: sorry, keep in mind also that Urich also like crashed and burned massively at Genoa, his yes, full club. Yeah, yes, he, he's put out as a coach, so it just shows that he he he, he he's not. Um, beyond like needing the support of the club to, to build that kind of environment that he's done at Verona now, where he's, yep. he's done an excellent job. Yes, um, but if you don't if you don't get support in Rome, he's just going to crash and burn again. I agree.
0: Um, so our next question comes from Totti's flow, and he asks: Considering everyone besides Zaniolo is fit, what do you think our best front three is and why? So everyone but Zaniolo.
1: Best front three. Uh, I mean, I I, I don't know. They've caught me out a little <laughs> bit with that question. Um, I, I suppose because I'm so bi- biased towards like defensive midfielders and, and centre backs, I, I'm not the person to answer this really. Uh, Stephen and Brent pay more attention to like explosive attackers, so Steven, yeah, I'm gonna give it to you.
0: I mean, it's tough to pick three without Zaniolo, um, because it it also depends how you want to approach Pellegrini. I think if you're playing Pellegrini as an attacking midfielder, I think he has to be in the in the front three along with Mkhitaryan, based on their performances this year. I think Pellegrini has done very well overall. Um, mm. and then you go to Striker, and I, it's tough to pick between Jako and Myerall in the sense that lately both have been pretty cool in Serie. A. I, I know Myerall's been scoring in Europa League. Mm. Um, I'm guessing at this point, I'd probably go with Myerall because he's had a better season overall. But you know he doesn't always convince either. So I it, it's a tough answer to really go with a, a front three. Like at yeah. some point, do you I'm- almost consider going with a false nine when everybody's fit with uh, El Shirari or Mkhitaryan playing as a false nine.
1: Maybe, maybe you'd have to. With uh, uh, the team in the shape it is now, I'm not, I'm, I'm I've am i had my fair, my feel of false nine football, put it that way. So I, yeah. I'd rather go out with an out striker, but we don't have one. So I agree yeah. with you that false nine might be the best. Uh, who who I would never drop from the front three is McTarian. Um He's indispensable. Yes. And I I would personally play Merrill as well. Uh, but for that third slot, I really don't know. Um, I guess I'll go with Steve and I'll say Pellegrini because that's really the, this area on the pitch where he more often than not has the best opportunity to show how, how good he can be. Um he's not guaranteed to always be good. You know, if, if defenses get close up tight, you're gonna find Pellegrini disappearing. But um if uh more often than not teams will play open then Pellegrini will be will come up with the goods in terms of assists. So yeah, yeah. Pellegrini, big guitar in a mayoral for me.
0: All right. Next one comes from Ibrahim A, and he asks a uh, two-part question: If Fonseca fails to qualify for the Europe, uh, the Champions League, do you think he should be sacked? And if so, who should replace him? We already talked about who should replace him. We kind of mentioned Sadi, but if yeah. he fails to qualify for the Champions League, do you think he should be sacked?
1: No, because uh, um, uh, it's, I mean, uh, I definitely think it's hard to defend a coach that's never finished top four with Roma. But the the team, uh, I think, I feel, and a lot of people feel, is just not there it's not ready for a top four finish yeah you know, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's not good enough because some of the players will develop and become better but it's yep. not ready at this at this point in time so agreed it's no. a
0: pretty it's a pretty young team i wouldn't sack him the only way i would probably back a sacking is if roma really just completely goes off the rails to finish the season and loses a lot of matches <laughs> yeah. lose. that would probably be the only way i could i could justify it because I, I agree with you i think he's doing a lot of good with the players and i think the players will improve under him and it's yeah. a fairly young team with room for improvement, um, yeah. which brings us to the next question: talking about Champions League qualification, where should Roma be putting its best efforts at this stage, Serie a or Europa? Because both have a qualification route to the Champions League. Um, so this is from Nafisi, who says top four seems out of the question without you know without Alansa coming up, but can we beat Ajax in this form and then possibly Manchester United, possibly uh, via Real or Arsenal in the final? So. I looked at the, the projections from 538.com, which I use a lot for um, our weekly, you know, what is Roma's chances of qualifying for the Champions League? With the loss yesterday, the top four finish dropped to a 10% chance, according to 538, and uh, that's the seventh best in the league. And mm. winning the Europa League is now at a 7% chance. So they're kind of narrowing, whereas before the, the top four routes seemed the more logical Rue, do you think it's still top four, or do you think Roma should really go for it in the Europa League?
1: It's still a top four for me because at, at, at the time of uh, talking, we're still what only I think five points of top four. Still five uh, points. We're seeing, off. Yeah, we're seeing alternating form from all teams. It's a very strange season where people are struggling to stay to deal with the calendar, the congested calendar, the the, the tightened calendar. Um, so things can still happen, and also there's a guy uh, who posts on on a forum, and I'm I'm really really sorry for forgetting his name because his posts were excellent on on this subject. Uh, he talks about probabilities and he mm, figured them all out. That one. Yeah, and uh, he, he basically with the, the argument that uh, banking your you know the smart player is always to bank on your league form over over the lottery that is knockout football. Um, so if, if you put it all on Europa League, you're really going for that smaller percentage play mm-hmm. um, whereas you know in the league you, the, the odds will still favor you no matter what it, it, in, in regards to versus knockout football competition so uh, for me sería so, yeah
0: yeah I, I, it's a it's definitely getting to be a tougher call than it was um, a couple matches ago when Seria seemed yeah. more likely uh, but I think unless you get past Ajax and then you're into the final four can you really uh, start to really put you know more into the Europa League or if things really go bad in the next couple matches and said yeah maybe you lose to Sassuolo and someone else before Ajax then maybe you have to kind of change course but I I think Fonseca has been taking them both seriously um Mm. it's just a matter of which lineup he goes in each one but he has not taken the Europa League lightly um and I think we'll see how it goes from here but it it will be interesting
1: but one, one thing I don't have much confidence in terms of Europa League is like if we make the semis in the final uh how do we know we're not going to emotionally like yeah be timid again against a strong opponent yeah because
0: then it's not Braga or Shakhtar or even Ajax All due respect to Ajax it's going to be a Manchester United most likely then you're at Old Trafford and then that mental issue might rear its ugly head again yeah I think you're absolutely right um so a couple more questions left we have um one from Pietro Rizzo And he said, if Roma can't qualify for the Champions League, will the team likely have to sell players to stay financially stable? Um, I don't know with all the COVID going on, Sean, that what do you do you think the Freakins injecting cash will save them from any big player sales, even without Champions League football?
1: Here are the facts. This is what we know. We know that all clubs have been given uh, extended periods, like a grace period during COVID until the end of 2021. So in January, 2022, a lot of people are going to have to account for the bottom line and Roma is going to be one of those clubs. Uh, What we don't know is what Freakin's plan is to deal with that issue. Uh, They have options. We know that they have the option to come into a a new three-year settlement agreement with the UEFA where they could they can then be given leeway to post uh, 30 million losses for the first year of ownership. Um, then it gradually goes down to back to where you have to uh, break even at zero again after three years. So they could take that option. Um, they might take other options. They might, uh, you know, you never know. They might build a stadium overnight from now to the next January. Um, wouldn't that be great? Mm-hmm. But uh, we, we don't know how they're going to com- grow the, the club income and revenue over, until, from now till next January. So uh, there's a, there's some unknown there. Um, if if they don't come up with uh, other options beyond just having a settlement agreement with way for the next three years, then for sure they will have to sell players by uh, next January, if not earlier, because January is not the ideal time to sell. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, all, all things staying as they are, you'll definitely see some big Roma player sales.
0: Yeah. Um, so I, I'm going to kind of piggyback these two user questions together. Andy White asked, do we have a striker problem? And Daniel Martinez asked, should Fonseca keep playing Dzeko or should Borja be the starter for the remainder of the season? I think we already hinted at the issue that Roma has a striker problem when we answered Toti Flo's, um, uh, question and we could, we couldn't really decide on who should start for Roma and not because yeah. they're both lighting up the world. Um, should- yeah I, I mean I guess I'll go with Borja just because he's the younger player and I kind of want to see what he has to offer but I think there are certain matches where Jeo has value depending on the team we're playing against like if we're playing a United I, I might tend to go more towards the Jeo. We've seen him kind of get motivated for matches like that we've We've talked about that in uh, you know Rama's run a couple of years ago how in those Premier League stadiums is when he really felt good about himself so I, I guess in certain matches I could see Jeko as being useful but I think Borja for me, would get the majority of the starts if he's you know scoring goals at a, a decent rate.
1: Yeah, same for me. I, I'm not someone who typically questions Jeko's motivation, unlike the majority. Uh, I've been in this corner for a long time. So when even I this season i am saying that I'm disappointed in how Jekylko's motivated himself for games, it's gonna be really bad. Um, I see Jekyll turn up to this last match and he's got you know the the option to to send SES through on goal with an easy mm-hmm. pass. Uh, and instead, he just takes a speculative, tame shot from long mm-hmm. range. You know, that's... Jekko has reacted badly to being dropped and being stripped of the, the armband. He's not looking at as a situation where he uh, just carries on business as usual. He's actually taking on as, like, a personal chance to just prove himself and come up with, like, a highlight reel moment. And that's not what we need. Um, so I'd give it to I Major. Uh, but I, I definitely rely on Jako in this. Like, if like for example, if the momentum is going against Roma and the results are going against Roma, you don't want to break Borja Mera by, yeah, consistently like, r- playing him, uh, even if when it's going wrong. You know, you want to be able to have that alternative. So I think. I hope that Jekyll could be a good alternative in this, in this situation, but I Melorado is my starter.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I think with at least another round of Europa League and a midweek match against Atalanta in April, we will see plenty of both of them because we're going to have mm-hmm. a very busy April. And our last user question uh, Francis Carr asked, Why do we continue to not field our best 11 first top sides? Um, I don't know who he's referring to. Yes, I don't know if he's referring to uh, Gonzalo VR, I think would be the one who was on the bench maybe that you would consider part of our best 11 because yesterday I'm looking at the, the injuries and I see Vertu, Mikatarian, and Smalling all out I fail to see who besides VR would be considered part of our best 11 um, Yeah, we
1: were, we were both confused by this question Francis yeah. we'll be honest with you because um, we, we didn't really see any alternatives but uh, then uh, we saw in, uh, in our quotes earlier, the season, uh, sorry, earlier in the episode that uh, someone brought up the point of maybe bring, uh, starting Cristante in the field um, and Kumbula maybe in defence, which is yeah. the change that happened midway through the game. So that's really the only the only alternative option that we could have seen he, he Frontex could have taken up yesterday. Uh, but in the wider scheme of things, uh, has there been anyone that, that Frontex has really dropped against top sides? I don't opinion? know.
0: I, I Maybe Francis can respond when we post and we can uh, yeah. revisit because um I didn't look back at other matches against top sides um, last minute here. But yeah, yes, and I, I wouldn't even have started a VR yesterday probably because... Uh, if the, Roma was planning on defending deep to start, he's not the ideal candidate to defend deep. I think Diawara, uh, Pellegrini is a better combo just from that aspect. Or probably even go Diawara Cristante, and maybe mm. push Pellegrini higher in Pedro's spot after the way we saw Pedro play. But but who knows? So Francis, if uh, you have any specifics to point out, please respond uh, either on you know the the site or on Twitter so we can revisit yeah. because it could make for a good
1: conversation. Um, I w- I, w- I would just yeah. say just as. As a half answer to your question, if you're getting at the whole Cristante thing of whether he could start in midfield, uh, the only answer I can give you is that normally players train with the the, the long arc of a season in mind rather than training week to week. So if, if Cristante is training in Trigoria for the, the centre back position, then week to week what he's doing is he's he's getting uh, put in sessions where he's defending four on three overloads, where the you know the the opponent has four players and he's defending with two other Roma teammates. And he, So he's learning week to week um, that his reference points are Ibanez Mancini or whoever is around him on the training pitch at that time. And that's who he's used to um, playing alongside in the mm-hmm. game on the pitch as muscle memory. So then it's not so easy for a player then to just uh, be asked to, to play against Napoli up in midfield where suddenly the references all changed and you might have a bad performance. So that, that's the best answer I can give you. It's a bit of a half answer, but yeah, hopefully we answered it.
0: All right. So just to wrap up, uh, just keep a, uh, an eye out on the site this week. Um, Bren is going to put out a reader survey for ranking the roster. We, we usually rank the roster every season from like the most indispensable to the least indispensable player on the roster. So this time the readers will have a say. Uh, we also, like I mentioned earlier, we'll have a fun second round table Q and a coming out um, with ourselves, Bren and, and Jimmy uh, and, I'm not, and maybe Jonas will be in there too. Uh, I'm hopefully going to finish up my Mancini piece that I started a few weeks ago before things got really crazy with the the busy schedule. Two weeks, uh, two matches a week, and things like that. And uh, I'm, if I have time, I might take a quick look at the schedule breakdown coming up. Of course, you know Sean's Toti today piece uh, and and all of our other coverage, but no don't, match day coverage for a couple of weeks.
1: Don't forget, we've got a currently got a death match going on for the Best ha- Roma hairstyle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. We got the we got the hairstyle. uh yeah. March Madness the, the bracket. March Madness bracket. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's, it's generally hard to see uh, certain people going up against each other. Like uh, in the first round of March Madness, we saw uh, Lindsay Thomas' uh, epic hairpiece get knocked out by Gabriel Batistuta. Uh, we had other 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 favorites that fell at the first hurdle, and now we've got Pablo Osvaldo, his, his Johnny Depp uh, mm-hmm. looks, going up against Batistuta in the next round. So keep voting because it's, it's, these are generally tough choices, to be honest yeah. with
0: you. Yeah. <laughs> you. know, you got Raj's uh, mohawk and uh, Al yeah. Sharari's kind of big flowing uh, hair there. So there are definitely yeah. some interesting ones there. So uh, we hope you guys enjoyed our, our kind of change to the format this week. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think about those Champions League uh, flashback, you know, pods we've done and anything else you might like to see in the future. But uh, thanks again for joining us, Sean. Anything you want to leave the listeners with?
1: Uh, don't lose hope. And uh, don't fight yeah. for Taker.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy <laughs> the international break. Hopefully, Italy will get some wins, and Roma will, will get back to their winning ways post-international break. We'll talk to you guys soon.